Well, good morning. It's funny, Carolyn, sharing. Um, I happen to know the... Oh, oh, the children are dismissed. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate that. The children can be dismissed to Children's Church. And uh, it's a good, uh, good reminder. Um, I think I know the, the, the lady that uh, Carolyn's talking about. I think I know her really well. And in fact, uh, I chuckle when she says that because... Uh, uh, she, she may have said that, don't let her fool you, Carolyn. So she's, uh, she's the one that calls me on the phone and says, uh, hey, I picked up a homeless guy on the side of the road and we're going to take him to get a hotel room. Is that going to be okay? <laughs> so, that's, so, so yeah, she's uh, amazing. So, um, well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. And uh, we're going to be looking uh, at the first six verses there. But as you're, as you're turning there, before we read the text, uh, let me just remind us, what First John has been about, uh, John has been, um, in, in essence, he's been assuring us of our faith. He's writing to these Christians, and he's giving them reasons for confidence, and also, but at the same time of giving them a reason to have confidence in their faith, to have assurance, it's also a warning. It's also a bit of saying, look, here's what it means to be a believer in Jesus. Here's what it means to, to walk with him, to live for him. And, and, but on the other side of it, he's saying as well, examine your life. Are you truly a believer? Does your life bear out evidence of genuine faith? And so, so, so far in this, this uh, letter... Uh, John has given about three, and he's going to continue to give about three different tests. So, by the way, uh, 1 John 5, which will be coming up later, uh, tells us uh, in terms of purpose. John says, I write these things to you who believe so that you may know that you have eternal life. That's, the, the, that's what he's trying to do, that, that you may know that you have eternal life. And so he gives three tests. The first one that we've seen throughout uh, these last few chapters is, uh, do you believe in Jesus? But not just do you believe in Jesus. The first test, even though it's a doctrinal test, what you believe, but he's, also, he's actually saying, what Jesus do you believe in? Do you believe in the Jesus that has revealed himself in his word to us? We don't get to make it up, right? We don't get to create him in our minds. He has come and revealed himself to us, and he's saying, do you believe in this Jesus who has made himself known to you? The Jesus who's lived and died on the cross, as he's going to get to in the next section, become that, that word that we talk about, propitiation, to be a sacrifice for us. And so he, he's talking about a doctrinal test. Do you believe in this Jesus, the Jesus who's made himself known to you, who lived a perfect life and died a death on the cross? Secondly, uh, John gives us the, the test of, are, are you obedient? See, true and genuine faith in God leads us to have desires for righteousness, right? It leads us to, to desire to do the will of God. True, genuine faith leads to that. It's not merely a checking off the boxes of, oh yeah, I believe that, I believe that, I believe that. No, genuine faith. The kind of faith where, where the Spirit of God gives us brand new hearts and makes us brand new people is a faith that leads to a desire in us and a direction in us that, that wants to obey, that wants to do the will of God. And in 1 John, in fact, uh, we saw that there's a, it talks about confessing our sins. In other words, 
is are, are our lives continually turning away from the sin and the things that keep us from God and turning towards Christ? Are we desiring to obey, to pursue righteousness? And the last test, so that's a, a, an obedience test. The last test that he's been talking about that was last week's sermon by Pastor Nick was, do you love the brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you love each other? Like that's a behavioral test. In other words, do you know Jesus, this Jesus, do you, are you, do you have a desire to pursue righteousness? And if you do, then that should lead you, having known the love that God has for you, it should lead you to love one another really well, to care for one another, to have a deep love for others. And, and John gives a test. How can you say that the love of God is in you if you don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Like, that's an impossible thing, right? And so there's, that's what John has been setting up in this, in this book. It's this test. And to say, if these things are true in your life, not perfectly, right? Because we're growing into these things. But if these things are true in your life, John is saying you should have every confidence that you are in fact a child of God. And if these things are not present, and notice in in the book of John, if you read through the whole book, it doesn't take very long, if you read through it, it's not an either or. You can't say, well, I got one out of three, two out of three, right? I'm okay in this area. No, If you love God and you know Jesus, you will have desires to do his will, and you will be loving. That's the the reality. And so he's saying, amen indeed. And so he's he's saying, if these things are, are in your life and they're growing a bit, you know, you're growing in these things, then you should be confident. But if these things are not in your life, there's the other side of it. There's the warning, right? If these things are not evident, if you are a hateful person who is, is not very nice to, let alone the body of Christ, but anybody, right, then you should not have assurance that the Spirit of God lives in you, right? That's what John is saying. That's the seriousness of this test. That's what the first John is actually saying. He's saying you should be assured of your faith, but also you should be cautioned. If these things are not present, then you need to pray today. Even this very day, as I speak through this text, pray today that the Spirit of God would awaken your heart to the truth about Jesus and who he is and what he's done for you, right? That's what we should do. So, in light of that, we are going to get to read the text in a minute. In light of that, so last week, John began a conversation about love. We should love one another. That was Pastor Nick's sermon. And next week, he's going to pick that subject back up in verse 7. But it's almost as if John sort of steps back and he takes a pause. You know how you're talking about something with somebody, having a conversation, all of a sudden you say, and all of a sudden some subject comes up in your mind, you go, and you say, hold on a minute, wait a minute, we, we set that conversation aside, and then we jump over here and say, let's talk about this for a minute, and then we go back, right? That's really what I think these six verses are. John is, in, it's sandwiched in between this, this discussion about love, what love is. Next week he's going to talk about how Jesus is, this picture, our example of what love is. He shows us what love is by his son dying on the cross. And, and so, but in the middle of this, he's going to call us, he's going to pause and step back a minute, and he's going to call us to be spiritually discerning people. If ever there was a, something we need to pause and think about, it's that we need to be a people who have spiritual discernment. In other words, um, don't be gullible. Um, my, in my house... I know some of you find this hard to believe, but uh, my children, and led by my wife, uh, they are pretty good practical jokesters in my house. 
and they like to play tricks on me. And, and the crazy thing about that is, is that I'm never suspecting it. Like, I'm always unsuspecting. I never walk in my house thinking, I wonder what they're going to do to me now, right? And, and yet often, there's somebody scheming to do something to me, like coming home late at night and having someone jump out of the dark, right? And I'm just walking in. I never suspect it, and yet it happens over and over and over again. They even set up a bike accident so that I'd run out of the house, and they had garden hoses ready to hose me down with water. Like, and my wife's, that was her idea, just so you know. So she's not in here today, so I'm throwing her under the bus, right? So it'll get back to her, I know. But, uh, but that, that's in essence what I mean, I'm never thinking about it. I'm never suspecting it, even though I should be because this is what goes on, right? I should be ready for it, but I'm not. I'm completely gullible, never thinking about it. This is exactly what John is going to say as Christians, spiritually, do not be like that. Do not be unsuspecting. Do not be gullible. Be on your guard. And so this is the subject that 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 6 is going to tackle. So let's stand in honor of God's word. Let's read these six verses. We stand because uh, these are not my words. These are God's breathed out words, inspired by him for our joy, for our edification, uh, to, to train us in righteousness so that we'll be equipped uh, to do the good works that he's called us to do. So here it goes, First John chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus uh, does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. But we are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, and whoever is not from God does not listen to us, and by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's pray. God, thank you for this word. God, would you strengthen your church, this body, today through these verses of Scripture. May we not hear in vain, may I not preach in vain, but God, please, by your grace, would you work mightily that we would know you, that we would love you, that we would be a discerning people, and give us, even today in this text, confidence that that is, in fact, the case. And so, Father, thank you for this word. Thank you in advance for how you will work through it. In your name, amen. You can be seated. Well, John is going to give us, uh, there's basically three things in this text we're going to look at. Uh, The reason for discernment. Why is he saying this is important? Secondly, the basis for our discernment. Like, what is the actual basis for how we can be discerning? He's going to give us two tests that that we can use to discern whether something is from the Spirit or not. And then thirdly, we're going to end by going back to verse four, and we're going to talk about the confidence that we can have in discerning God's word, in discerning truth or error. So the reason for discernment, um, in terms of John's day, 
the Greco-Roman religion that was in the backdrop of this letter uh, was a religion that, that prided itself in having dreams and knowledge and having this special knowledge, knowing mysteries and being able to solve things. And so these believers that John's writing to would have been saved out of that kind of culture. And there were all kinds of people that would speak all kinds of wonderful things and that may or may not be true at all. And so some of these Christians were probably had a tendency to be a little bit gullible, right? Uh, and to not uh, discern the Spirit of God. And so John comes along, and not only that, not only is that in the backdrop of the religion of the day, but John has also just told us back in chapter 2 that there are, there are false teachers that he's going to affirm again here these are the same teachers he's talked about in chapter 2. And he's saying there's these teachers that are not from outside the church. The greatest enemy and threat to you as a Christian rarely comes from outside the church. It, it comes from within the church. And that's what John says in chapter 2, that false teachers, they were among us, and they were, but they were not of us, and they went out from us. All right, and so that's in chapter 2, verse 18 and following. And so he's saying, look, these, there's these teachers in the world, and they were a part of us. They, they talk like us in lots of ways. They sound the same as us. You see, that's the big danger here of false prophets, is that no false prophet ever puts themselves forward as a false prophet. No one ever speaks falsehood as falsehood, Right? If I stood up here as a teacher today and said, okay, I'm going to give you a message today about, and I'm going to totally lie to you the whole time, right? I'm going to tell you something that's not true. And no one says it that way, right? A false teaching gets taught convincingly as truth. That's what makes it really dangerous, is that, that these things come from within the church. They get taught very convincingly, and that's why John is saying in his day, as well as to you and I, we need to have spiritual discernment. And so he begins in verse 1 by simply saying, Beloved, which is a term, by the way, of, of kind of affection, of, saying, of, of, of calling them the beloved, those whom he loves. And, and in fact, it's, uh, it marks in, in the book of John, if you read through it, there's several places, including the next verse after this message, where it says beloved, which usually marks that John's going to, he's going to give a new, some, some new thought. It's like the transition. And so he says, beloved, do not, so he's going to give us both a command and a warning. Do not believe every spirit. Um, the reason why this is, is crucial, he just had said back in chapter 2, as well as in the previous verse in verse 24 of chapter 3, he talks about how the spirit is in us. The spirit of God as Christians is in us. But then he goes on to say in the next verse, chapter 4, verse 1, don't believe every spirit. In other words, he's saying there are other spirits. There is God's spirit that's at work in us as believers, but there are other spirits that are also at work against the things of God, and they're crafty, and they're cunning, and they're really good at the things that they say. And so, so he says, but, so don't believe everything you hear. Now that's a great thing for a speaker beginning a message to say, don't believe everything you hear. And, and I, I, I believe absolutely you should discern every single word that comes out of my mouth today. You should discern if in fact, and we'll give the test today, if in fact that I am from God or not. You should discern that. And there's ways that he's going to give us to discern that very fact. And every speaker that you hear 
And so he's saying the reason why we need to be discerning is because there's these other spirits. We need to test them. There's false prophets who've gone out into the world. We need to be aware of them. We need to be careful. But I want to say today, in our context, right here in the United States where you live, I think there's, a, there's two other things that I'll mention here that I think is relevant to us in terms of how we, why we need to be discerning. Because we live in a time, I don't know if you've noticed, in which everything is huge, right? Everything is important. Have you ever turned on any news network at all lately in which it doesn't say, breaking news, right? Isn't it amazing that all news is always breaking news? It's always the most important thing that you have ever needed to stop your life for and listen to in that moment, right? And they're the only news network that has the news, right? Isn't that, isn't that the way? It, and, and even more so right now, like we, we live in a time in which every little thing is like huge. It's all blown up and it's all this massive thing. And, we're, and we, Christians, non-Christians, no matter what side of the aisles of political things you live on, no matter what, we are very susceptible to believing things without discerning whether or not they are right. It's, it's sort of the hype of our culture. And so we need to be careful that we don't bring that into the church and into our faith, and we too are kind of this, high, everything is so big, right? And we get all worked up. Let us as a church, as believers, be the only calm voice in the world, right? Because we have Jesus, right? And that's what he's going to say, right? So, so I think that's a reason why we need to be careful in our day. The other reason why is because we have this thing called the internet. You ever heard of that? It's this crazy thing. Um, and on the internet, you can grab your phone right now. You can test everything I say. There will be somebody, if you just Google it on your phone right now, who probably disagrees with what I'm about to tell you, right? And uh, there's, you can listen to all kinds of big-name teachers and preachers. You can look up anything on your phone at the press of a button. Uh, you can talk to your phone, and it will tell you stuff, right? You can, you can download. In fact, this very message is going to be on the Internet after this service, and every message I've spoken for the last 15 or 20 years, you could go find out there as well as all kinds of preachers, right? You can go look for these kinds of things. And so that's a wonderful blessing and a gift, it's also very, very challenging because there's a tendency to just listen to someone who claims to be Christian and assume that it is, right? In fact, here's a danger I found in the course of 20 years of ministry in my own life is that the danger is, is that one of you may go out and you may listen to someone who has thousands of people in their congregation who speaks way better than anybody who preaches at this church and, and is way more flowery, way more put together. Their appearance is amazing, uh, whatever. And, and you may go, man, that guy is saying something that disagrees with what, what Pastor Chris is saying. And then you say, man, he must be right because he has thousands of followers and he speaks really well. And so he must be, he must be right. We, we can tend to measure faithfulness by the wrong things, right? Just a little warning against that. The Corinthians also said that they did not like the way the Apostle Paul spoke. They didn't like his appearance. They thought he was a bad speaker. And they preferred, they preferred the false teachers who spoke really well and had really polished appearances over the Apostle Paul, and he had to rebuke them for it. Because the numbers of followers, the flashiness of speech is not ever found in Scripture as a test as to whether or not something is from God or not, 
right? One way or the other. That's not the test. John's going to give us the test. So, what is the basis of our discernment? Why should we test everything? How should we test it? He's going to give us two different ways that we should test uh, the Spirit. And the first one's going to refer to the teacher himself. So there were teachers in the church that went out from the church. And so the first test that he's going to give is he's going to say, let's examine the teacher and what they're saying, the message that they're, that they're proclaiming as to whether or not it's true or false, as to whether or not it's actually from God. Verse 2, look at what he says. By this, you know the Spirit of God. If you're like me, I'm fairly simple. I like straightforward talk. But he's like, by this, you'll know. Right? I love that. It's like, okay, great. This is simple, right? This is not hard. He says, by this, you will know the Spirit of God. If you want to know this morning, even in my life or anyone you've listened to who's proclaiming to be Christian, who's teaching the Word of God, how will you know that the Spirit of God is in them? Here he says, verse 2, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. That seems pretty simple, right? Let's break that down for a moment. Why is this such a huge test? You see, many may say that they believe in Jesus. Many can say. In fact, a lot of people would say, I I believe in Jesus. But it's not so much whether they believe in Jesus. A lot of false religions believe in Jesus. But the question that John, what John is putting forward is to say, what Jesus do you believe in? Who is this Jesus? Is he the Jesus that you and I have made up in our minds? That we've conjured up? This is who Jesus is? Or is it the Jesus who himself has made himself known to you and told us, this is who I am? Scripture has proclaimed who he is. And so this, this little phrase is loaded here. He says, every spirit, and so he's talking about the spirit of the person speaking and giving a message, every spirit that confesses, that is, when you're talking about confessing something, that refers in the Bible to something that has a deep, heartfelt conviction. It's not just this flimsy like, yeah, I think, I, I think that's all right. Um, no, when it, someone confesses this, it means they, this is a deep conviction that is changing their lives. And so he says, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ, and in fact, the Greek there would more so say it, Jesus as the Christ. That's probably the better way to translate that. I'll get in trouble with all the Bible translators. But meaning, Jesus as the Christ has come in the flesh. Let's stop there. The Christ refers to the anointed one, the Messiah. It refers to the one who's been prophesied about long ago. And all the Old Testament prophets prophesied as to the one who would come, who was anointed, would be anointed by God, who would, who would take away the sins of the world. This is the, the, the Christ, the Messiah. So when he says that word, that Jesus Christ, as the Christ, he's talking about the long-awaited Messiah that's been prophesied about. And not only that, he has come, meaning he already existed. That's a powerful statement. That's actually really important to this, because that means that this Jesus wasn't somehow just currently created uh, and come to earth when he was born through Mary. No, this Jesus who already existed, pre-existent Christ, God, a very God, this, this Jesus has come, and not only does he say he just came to earth, 
but he's given very, a lot of specificity. He came in the flesh. He was truly human. His flesh was real. It was physical. This is important, these two parts of this. The Christ has come in the flesh. These two things, that he is fully God, the one who's been prophesied of long ago, and yet he's fully man. And John is probably most likely saying it that way because he's already said in chapter 2, he's given a similar test, but now he's clarifying even further. And he's saying it that way probably because the false teachers are denying one or both of these sides of the equation. And in fact, we know in John's day that there were people on the humanity side of it, there were a whole group of people who believed that everything physical in the world is bad. Physical stuff is bad. And so they would deny themselves all kinds of things. Any, any physical desires are anything in the flesh. It's all bad. The only thing that matters is spirit. Well, that's not a biblical concept. God created every physical thing, including your body. It's not bad, right? It's corrupted by sin, but he's going to redeem it all in the end of time, right? He's going to restore it. He's not going to destroy your flesh. He's going to restore all these physical things. And so, so those who believe that would deny that no way can God somehow take on flesh because that would be horrible because they denied that, the, that anything physical was good. And so they denied that side of it, the humanity side, and there's all kinds of nuances in there. But there's also those who would say, no, Jesus was simply just a man. He was just another guy, another prophet. That's what many religions believe. Another guy who came was a pretty good teacher, lived a pretty decent life, but he's not God. He's not God in the flesh. And you say, why do these things matter? And we could spend a lot of time on this, which is not the whole point of the sermon, but the, but the fact is, the fact that Jesus is God qualifies him as a sufficient sacrifice to pay for your sins. If he's not God, then he's not perfect and he's unable to remove your sins. But on the other hand, if he's not man, fully, physically a human being, then he cannot also step in your place as a propitiation for your sin. He can't be substituted on the cross for you if he wasn't flesh and blood, Hebrews chapter 2. And so these things matter. So John is saying the first test, does the person speaking and claiming to be from God, claiming to have the Spirit, do they believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? Do they believe that? And if they do not, he goes on to say, verse 3, that they're not from God. That's a, that's a big statement. Because he's saying it doesn't matter what else they say that could be right. That's the, that's the challenge of discerning spiritually whether something's from God or not. False teachers don't usually say everything false, right? They can, you can say a lot. Of, in fact, if I, I could give you names, I won't. There's a lot of very prominent preachers that you probably maybe even like, possibly, who don't believe this very truth right here that don't believe in the Trinity, but would say a lot of things that you and I would agree 100% about. We wouldn't disagree. But they don't believe that Jesus is the Christ who's come in the flesh. They don't believe that he is fully God and fully man. And so John calls for us to be discerning, to test these things, to know whether or not the person speaking actually believes in Jesus as he's revealed himself uh, in the flesh. In fact, I would say maybe one of the great, uh, great ways these days to discern is that most, a lot of very prominent pastors actually don't talk about Jesus much at all. Uh, there's, a, there's a red flag that you should check out. But uh, 
And in fact, a lot of books that are read, uh, written today uh, have all kinds of sensational things in them, right? And Jesus is, is sort of sadly absent from them. That maybe is more of the things that we deal with on that side of it. And so he says, every spirit that doesn't confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which he introduced in chapter 2, verse 18, which you've heard was coming and is now already in the world. So, the spirit of Antichrist is the one who denies anyone who denies the Son, who denies who he is, who denies his nature, his character. And we see another, the other part of that test in chapter 2. So that's the first test. Do they believe Jesus is the Christ? But there's a second test. Verses 5 and 6. <coughs> in fact, in verse 4, he transitions and he goes, in verse 4, he's going to address you, meaning the, the, the readers of this letter. And then he's going to, so uh, therefore us as well. Uh, and then he's going to say in verse 5, he's going to address, he's going to talk about they. And then he's going to talk about we in verse 6. And so the you is the readers of this letter, including us. The they are these false teachers who've gone out from among them. And the we in, the, in verse 6 are the apostles, those who are, have been ordained by God, sent by God to, to speak the very truth of God, to write it down, uh, the very words of God to us. And so, so he says in verse 5, they, that is those false teachers, they are from the world. So definitively, they are from the world. If they don't believe that Jesus is the Christ come in the flesh, then there's only one other option. There's not some degrees. There's one other option. They are either of Christ, in, in Christ of God, or they are of the world, of the spirit of, of the Antichrist. And so he says here that they are from the world. How do we know? They speak from the world. In other words, their, their talk is very similar to the world. And he says the world listens to them. So those who are going out, they speak like the world speaks. They, they're saying things that seem to make sense to the world. That's usually a grave uh, a red flag as well, right? If the world accepts everything that we taught as a church, we should be concerned, right? Because that probably means the truth is not in us because the world, by and large, rejects the truth, right? And so, so he's saying they, these false teachers, they're from the world, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. The world adheres to what they say. The world simply agrees. And the word listen here, by the way, um, we think of that fairly passively. Like you sitting here today, maybe listening to me. Right? Sort of passive. But the word listen in Greek also has with it the idea of embrace. It's an active thing. It's not a passive thing. It's not some passive-aggressive kind of just sitting back, taking something in, going, eh, whatever. Sounds pretty good. Doesn't sound very good. But no, to listen in Scripture has with it the idea of embracing what's being said, of actually actively taking it on. And so he says here, they listen, they embrace them. They embrace what they're saying. Uh, it lines up with what they believe. Um, and in fact, uh, I think Jesus had some warnings for this as well. Maybe not in the total same vein, but he said things like, um, be careful if everyone thinks highly of you. <laughs> like that's not a good thing. And in fact, not only if everyone thinks highly of you, he's not necessarily talking about believers. If a person is godly and people think highly of that person because they have a godly life, that's, that's, a, that's not a bad thing. But he's saying, be careful if everyone thinks highly of you. If everyone in this community looks at Christians and go, man, those guys are awesome. You know, like, 
There's, there's no pushback at all. We might want to be cautious. Something might be wrong. So be careful that everyone speaks highly of you, Jesus warns. And I think we need to also be careful. But here's the test. The second test is this. Verse 6, we, he says, meaning the apostles, and he's also going to say this about them. Uh, we're going to go back to that in a minute in verse 4. But he says, we are from God. God has specifically sent and ordained these apostles. And he says, whoever knows God listens to us, embraces their message. If you know God and you are of God, and he's saying, then you listen to our message. Simple as that. Pretty straightforward, right? And then he says, but whoever does, is not from God does not listen to us. In other words, they not only don't embrace the message, they reject it altogether. And so the second test is, do we submit to, this has to refer to the listeners, to us in a sense, do we adhere to and submit to the authority of the, of the scriptures, of the word of God that these apostles have, that have been handed down to them. Paul, in fact, even says this, this gospel in chap, second, uh, second Corinthians chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says that this gospel that I proclaim is, is, has been given to me by who? By God, and I'm now proclaiming it to you. So this is not Paul's words or John's words, it's God's words that he ordained these men moved by the Spirit to write down, and their words are the final words. This is the definite authoritative word of God. This is where, how do we know in fact that we do, that we understand, or how did we even come up with in the first place that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Well, because we know the Old and the New Testament, right? That the Old and New Testament testify through the Spirit of God, about the true nature of His Son, Jesus. The Spirit of God is not going to lead us to have a distorted view of Jesus. It affirms who He is. We know what it means that He's the Christ because we have the authoritative Word of God to know the things that I've just told you this morning. It's not, it's not, we didn't have to make this up. We don't get to create it. God has given it to us, and the test of any teacher or hearer is what is their sole authority? for knowing what they know? Is it their own opinion? Is it their status, stature, socioeconomic place in life? What is it? It's, it's the apostolic witness of who God is. It's the, it's the scriptures themselves. And so the second test is, do we submit to and adhere to and find our sole authority about all things all matters pertaining to godliness, as, as Peter says, do we find that in the Word of God? When we come to know who Jesus is, do we understand that from the Scriptures? Or is it just our philosophical opinion? That's, that's crucial as to whether or not we know. When somebody says that somehow God has directly spoken something to them, and that's something that they say God spoke to them, doesn't line up with this Bible, then it is not from God. Not. And we need to be discerning in that kind of stuff. We need to be, uh, we need to be thinking through these things. Um, John 10, Jesus actually said that there, were, that there were sheep. He describes a pen. 
and he says that, describes that inside the pen is the, the sheep, the, the family of God, those who are saved. And he says, that, and, and that describes Jesus as the gate to the pen, that the only way you can get into the pen rightly is through the, the gate, which is Jesus. And Jesus himself says in John 10, he says, I have other sheep who are not in my pen, not in the fold. And he says, I must go get them as well. That's what Carolyn was talking about. That's evangelism, right? God has other sheep, those who are not in the family. And then Jesus says something crazy. He says, and those sheep that aren't in the family yet, when they hear my voice, in other words, when they hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, those who are his sheep, they will listen and they will follow. They hear the voice. They know it right? That's why we evangelize. That's why we should go out and tell every person we have an opportunity to about the gospel, because God will use that proclamation of the gospel to draw his sheep into his fold, and they will listen. They will hear, and they will listen to the word of God. I was thinking about this in the, I was reading a story of a, of a guy who told about his, uh, he had a, a neighbor who was a canine police officer, and, uh, and I guess this is somewhat common. Not every canine officer does this, but um, he was talking to his neighbor uh, one time. They didn't really know each other too well, and he was kind of talking to him, and he started asking him all these funny questions that people ask when they don't know anything about what they're talking about. And, and so he, he's, he starts to kind of talk to this guy's dog, right? And, uh, and the dog is like totally not even acknowledging that he's alive, that he's present, and, uh, and so he starts asking this officer about his dog. Like, what are the commands, you know, that would get him to, like, you know, take somebody down and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, and the officer just simply says, um, and it was a German shepherd, by the way. The officer says, uh, he only knows German. <laughs> and the neighbor thought that was kind of funny. He starts laughing. And the officer wasn't laughing. And he says, no, seriously, he only knows German. And the officer taught his dog all of the commands in German. And the reason why he did that was because on any scene, when there's a, a very chaotic and crazy scene that they're called to, there's screaming and there's things being said all over the place. And so what that officer wants is for that dog to absolutely know his commands and not be distracted or thrown off by all the chatter going on. That's a little bit of like what... what John would want us to be like as Christians. There's a lot of messages, a lot of chatter, a lot of stuff being thrown at us all the time through the internet, through TV, through news media, through all kinds of stuff happening in our world. We are constantly bombarded with all kinds of messages. And what John would have us to be is a bit like that dog. To know the voice of God. To know and discern when it is God speaking to us. That it breaks through all the crud that it breaks through all the noise of this life and that we can know with certainty that it's God who is speaking to us and we can take heart, we can be encouraged, we can be strengthened in our faith. Let me just take a quick test and then I'll get to our confidence. I'm going to read a statement for you and I want you to test it. This is where class begins, right? So now we're in class for a second. Um, um, so I'm going to read a statement to you from a very prominent uh, leader in our world. Um, and I'm going to read this to you, and you put it to the test of what they believe about Jesus and what's the sole authority upon which they know this to be true. This person says, We believe that we have a correct idea of the character 
of the Son from the writings of the apostles. So far as they learned it, that is. But while he was dwelling in the flesh, he, meaning Jesus, was more or less contaminated with a fallen nature. While he was here, in a body that his mother Mary bore him, he was more or less connected with and influenced by the very nature that we ourselves have received. God and man are of the same race, differing only in their degree of achievement. So true or false, church? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see like, you got, most of you are like, that's obvious, right? Um, it was not obvious to Joseph Smith, and that was quoted by Brigham Young. That's Mormonism, right? So we need, that's a prominent thing in our day, right? That's what they believe about Jesus. So you discern whether something is of, of the Spirit or not. One more phrase. Um, God is the supreme one. Jesus is not God, but the Son. Hence the phrase, Son of God, refers to Jesus as a separate created being, not as part of a trinity. As the Son of God, he could not be God himself, for Jesus Christ is Michael the archangel. Jesus is no more or no less than a perfect human who became a ransom. However, at his birth, he was not yet the anointed one or the Christ. Yeah, yeah, boo, I saw. No, I can't see. <laughs> oh, man. So that was uh, that is a quote from a leader in the Watchtower Bible Society, Jehovah Witness. Um, so, yeah, somebody, somebody nailed it, right? So, all right, so that's how we discern, right? We weigh statements like that over against. We don't have to be confused. You see how simple that was? We read what they actually believe about our Savior. This is our Savior. This is our Jesus, right? We read that and we go, is it of the Spirit or not? And then what do we do? Now, I want to be cautious this morning because as Christians, we don't just sort of blast them and just, you know, we don't stand up and say, you idiots, what are you thinking, right? <laughs> That's going to be on the videos or the tape as well, yeah. Um, no, we love them, right? We love them and we plead with them over the truth of God's word, right? Because we want them to be saved. We want them to know our Jesus, the Jesus who's revealed himself to us. We want them to know him. We're not jerks. We're not there just simply to win an argument or to have an argument even. We want to plead the gospel on their behalf. We want them to know him, right? That's what we do. How can we be, how can we be confident for having such discernment? I love, um, I think a lot of us often live in fear. I appreciate Carolyn even sharing today because I think probably a lot of us are fearful to do what she just talked about, right? If we're honest, every one of us, including myself. And, and yet, what does he say in verse 4 is our confidence? I love this. Little children, he says, now he's talking to us, talking to the readers of this. He says, you are from God. You're from God. He's assuring them, if these things are true in your life, you are from God. And here's the, here's the confidence that we have. If you'll notice, you can look later back in chapter 2, he also gives us a very similar assurance. He tells us that we can be discerning. And Why can you be discerning? Listen to what he says. You are from God and you have overcome them. In other words, you can clearly know what's right and what's wrong, what's true and what's false. And he, he says in verse 4, uh, for, for you are from God and overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you 
speaking of here? I think he's speaking of the Spirit of God, the very reality of God's presence in, his, in our lives as Christians. You have the Spirit. And having God himself who takes up residence in your life, you have the Spirit. And John has already told us the Spirit of God leads us into all truth. And so trust the Spirit of God. And where does the Spirit lead you in order to know this truth? He leads you to this word, to this truth, and gives you understanding so that you can understand it and you can rightly discern the Spirit of truth and the Spirit of error. And so he says, by this, by these, these tests, we can know the Spirit of truth and we can know the Spirit of error. Be confident that God lives in you and he's greater than the Spirit of Antichrist. Antichrist cannot overcome. They cannot lead you astray because the Spirit of God lives in you. And so I challenge you, church, to to open up God's Word, to know the truth. Here's where it's important, too, for us to be connected together. The, The reality is, when I became a Christian at 18, I had no idea what it meant that Jesus was the Christ who came in the flesh. I had no idea what that, I couldn't have shared, no more understood that or explained it to you I mean, I didn't have a clue what that meant. So what do we do? The church came alongside of me, and they taught me. They helped me understand it. This is where we speak the truth to one another. All of us have things that we're fuzzy on, right? This is why we need to, together as a church, be together as a body, meeting together in groups, opening up God's word together so we can sharpen each other, we can sometimes correct each other, and we can encourage each other in the faith. We need not fear that God lives in us And he's given us each other, in fact, to encourage and strengthen and teach. And so be encouraged today. You are from God. Is the Spirit of God in you? Do you know him? Do you know this this word? Trust him. Trust him to work to give you confidence to know truth from the air. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for making it clear to us. Even today, there may be things in this word that we haven't thought about. Maybe there's some of us who are brand new in our faith. What an amazing time. And and maybe even today, God, you've equipped your church. You've armed us with the ability to know right from wrong, truth from error, false prophets from true prophets. God, we thank you that you've given us clarity in this book, that we can know these things with confidence, that we can be assured that we can discern truth from error. As your children, you have given us that ability. You have put your spirit in us. And so God, may you assure your church today of this truth. May you assure us that we, every believer in this room, we have your spirit and are able to know right from wrong. And I plead, God, that, that as well that each of us would have a heart and a love and a passion to share the good news of Jesus Christ with every person we have the chance, that they might know him and they might love him, that they might treasure him for who he really is as our Savior and Lord. And so, God, we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.